1: A game wardens children's book titled A Cowboy in the Woods is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery. What he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences, growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire. The love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together, they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Mares to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon warden's watch podcast is now on patreon combining the thin green line podcast and the warden's watch podcast on patreon to bring member exclusive extra content both video audio and with product deals as well become a member to support our podcast and get something extra search warden's watch podcast on patreon
2: we love our children we protect them we guide them we prepare them for life in the world With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair.
1: Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories. About encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Brought to you in part by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, and the North American Game Warden Museum. Warden's Watch, Episode 113 The Conclusion of Big Boy. Had the opportunity to sit down with the hunters Ian and Brad. And talk about this case from their perspective, which I think was really interesting. And the one thing we talked about why we weren't recording is Brad brought up the fact that this deer was recorded in Kentucky as the Kentucky Archery State Record. And not only were they cheated out of this, but if that had stood, the guy that currently had the Kentucky State Record would have been cheated out of his position on that on that chart by an illegally taken deer in another state which wouldn't have been fair to him and brad pointed that out i thought it was pretty important to to point that out as we went into this warden's watch so if you're a hunter uh, i i'm sure you can relate to this and i appreciate their efforts in reporting this and being part of the solution so thank you gentlemen uh, certainly, uh, if you have hunter friends that would like to listen to Warden's Watch, share that, especially this perspective. Uh, I think it's really important. So, and here is the conclusion of the big boy case. On this episode of Warden's Watch, we are sitting down for the first time, hunters involved with a poaching case. And a lot of poaching cases come from really good information, and really good hunters. And I'm going to say this, I try to say this, if I can say this, every podcast I will, hunters are conservationists. And I want to keep driving that home. And certainly my guests today are, are an example of that in, in so many different ways. Uh, Ian Obenchain and Brad Bailey are the two hunters that were in the pursuit of Big Boy. You guys have now heard Chris Gilkey's uh, podcast regarding the The epic deer, I like to use that word a lot, guys, so that's my word is epic, so the epic deer named Big Boy, and and, you know, who named that deer, Ian, Brad, was it you guys? Yeah, 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 it was.
3: It
4: was us, but... Yeah, um, great to be here with you, Wayne, thanks for the opportunity. Um, Yeah, I'm Ian, and Brad's sitting next to me. Yeah, Big Boy was, you know, obviously fitting. Um, It was... (laughs) Not sure which one of us knew him. I think we sat down and I'm uh, not sure how that exactly came about. It's been a while, but yeah, he was a big boy.
1: And, and we, we talked a little bit earlier, but you guys, I mean, this is how many years ago that this occurred?
4: This was 2009, 2010, I believe. Maybe the summer of 2009.
1: Yeah, so quite a long uh, time in between here. and. You guys were on the, I mean, if, if this was happening now, if you guys were following a deer, the technology changing cameras and everything, but back then, technology was pretty clunky coming into it. Probably the beginning of the digital age, um, so to speak, with trail cameras.
4: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. So there was a um, no-cell cams that I remember, mm-hmm. um, so we were actually, we were out there checking cameras, and the video camera, you know, stuff wasn't what it is today, so
1: right. um,
4: we were just getting into the video camera, in you know, the videoing hunts type of deal. And, um, so that's, yeah, that's all changed quite a bit. It was not as, not as advanced as it is now for sure.
1: Right. You guys, uh, you, were you together when you first saw this deer or was it just one of you doing a drive by?
4: No, I believe it was me and I'm not sure how long before it wasn't long. I, I'm not sure what the, the exact circumstances, but it was, it's, there's a bean, a large bean field off the side of the, of a pretty main road in the County um, that I live off of. And so I believe one day, you know, driving home or driving out, driving around the evenings, looking for velvet bucks and the beans, I came across this guy and he was just something that I've, you know, like nothing I've ever seen before. And I'd known Brad through high school, a small town, Uh, knew him through school. Uh, He's got two brothers, knew his younger brother, hung out with him and, quite a bit. And then me and Brad ended up going to the same college and lived close by in an apartment complex on that campus or just off campus. And I hadn't really been into hunting much up until this point. Um, and then Brad, is, he's been hunting his whole life. Knowing Brad from that and knowing his background, I believe I, I saw you at the fair. It
3: was at the county
4: fair. At the county fair. I, I had gotten some footage of the buck, a big boy, and saw Brad at the county fair and said, hey man, you got to come out to my car and check this out and just wanted to get his opinion get you know a, have a possibility of filming this deer. i really wanted to get on film if we could hunt him on film get a kill on film but certainly wanted his input on hunting this deer what did i need to do you know this <laughs> is something that i'm only been doing this a couple of years he's been doing this whole life so that was he had a wealth of information on how to do that and go about that and kind of you know the wisest way to to approach this
3: so the first time i saw the deer at the county fair he's on a, I think it's a flip phone, you know, where it's poor quality. He's trying to show me through this flip phone. And my first words are, have you shown this to anybody? <laughs> like, Please tell me you this to anybody. I was like, this, this thing is the real deal. And from there on, it was like pretty much just code talking around it, everybody. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was nothing I'd ever seen before. I'd seen big, big deer, but not world-class and this thing was world-class so it was it blew my mind when i saw it i was thankful that he came to me to just try and help him you know get through it it was uh it was like nothing i'd ever seen before
1: wow so big boy kind of brought you guys together as hunting partners did that continue after this deer absolutely
4: yeah that's actually uh I, and thinking through this whole thing and, you know, recently, you know, thinking back on it, you know, it was, it's super unfortunate the way it unfolded in a lot of ways, but, you know, the silver lining is it did, it brought us together and, you know, now we're super close and have been and hunted together and fished together and been best of friends since. Um, so that was really, you know, that's something that I look back on. And I'm super thankful for and the big boy brought us together like that. Yeah.
1: Mm. So tell me about, you know, now that you know that deer's there, how'd you guys go about, um, dissecting this uh so to speak yeah
4: so we you know for me it was all about you know getting getting a pattern put together and trying to figure out what we could possibly figure out that he would do when the beans turned yellow because around here our season comes in at the end of september and, and normally all the beans are, are turning yellow or have already turned yellow and that was where brad came to brad actually did a you guided in Illinois, Illinois. Yeah. for a college um, internship or something so he had a lot of experience guiding and putting together you know these these plans and getting big deer on the ground you know he just kind of walked me through what the process should be and you know I don't want to remember exactly what it was but I know we got we tried to get a lot of footage um, try to we got trail cameras out got pictures of him, got where was coming from he um, kind of explained to me that in the summertime these deer, these deer can move for quite a ways to to get to the their you know summer food sources which around here is usually soybeans that's i think that's the preferred food source then and, and what we found out is he was he was moving quite a distance from where he was actually bedding to where he was feeding in this bean field so the strategy of hunting that property or that bean field probably wasn't going to work out come season we knew that he probably wasn't going to be there he was going to be back you know on a different pattern so trying to get that put together and, you know, figure out acorns. And we put, we were putting corn out and mineral and felt like we were pretty close to where he was betting um, And we were just hoping and praying that that was going to maintain come season.
1: Right. So you kind of worked your cameras back to where you thought he was and you tried to narrow it down and narrow it down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt.
5: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: So, how did that season persist? I mean, here comes the beginning of archery season, and tell me about that season of searching for a big boy.
2: Yeah,
4: so, we were... I can see like the chagrins
1: earlier. too, guys. I'm sorry. I could, I, I could see it on your face because uh, you know you. I can see you put a lot of effort and time into this, uh, and that's what we're building up to. So for for short, sure. but I can see it on your faces.
4: Unbelievable <laughs> a, a amount of time. <laughs> yeah, the time was. I mean, the commitment. I didn't have a family at that point. I was in a relationship. Brad was starting a family, and the time commitment was just. It was outrageous. I mean, we were we were literally spending. Most of every day, putting together the plan, you know, being out there scouting, getting tree stands set up, and trying to hone this plan, and come season, uh, and, and trying to f- learn how to film because we were we were trying to film this whole thing. So that's right. a whole different ballgame when you're trying to film and hunt <laughs> tell, together. Tell it's me. just
1: <laughs> <laughs> it
4: adds such you know just a, a whole nother level of complexity to no. the whole thing. So we were trying to get that. We didn't want you know the first time we were in a tree with a camera to be when he walked out so we were just practicing and trying to get this whole thing down and early on in september he disappeared and it was first week or so in september He disappeared. Beans were still green. So we were kind of worried about that, but it's not abnormal for deer to, you know, especially big deer like that with he was getting more pressure, I'm sure from people driving down the road and slowing down and taking a look. And, you know, so we thought, well, maybe he just got bumped or maybe he's, you know, on a different pattern now. And it was a bummer and we were worried about it, but uh, it wasn't abnormal. So we didn't lose a lot of sleep over it. We just, you know, kept on with the plan and um, come season, uh, we hunted hard, (laughs) Uh, tried to be smart about it, but we were excited. And, you know, I, I think that first morning, I don't know what time I got in the tree stand that opening morning, but I pretty much camped out in the tree and never did have an encounter, you know, saw some of the bucks that he would, that he would hang around with, or that he was close to, um, on a summer pattern, which was worrisome, but he was a different level. He was a different caliber. We knew that he could be doing, he could be just hiding in a one acre hole somewhere, you know, in a thicket and just not going to show himself in the daylight that's just, that was my thought process going through that season never we never did see him never did get another picture of him
1: mm-hmm. and
4: that's how that you know season progressed
1: but put a lot of time and a lot of effort a lot of going to check stations looking for pictures of him someone else killing him looking on Facebook um, just to, you get you guys were in pursuit of big boy that whole season that was your focus
4: that was it and yeah you uh, you hit it man you every night you go home and you pull up Facebook just and the worst you know you're just you're just waiting for that to, to pop up or for some buddies are constantly throughout the season sending you pictures. so as soon as one of my hunting buddies or somebody that i knew was in the hunting game was i see a picture pop up and it would just, my i would just get nauseous you know you're just waiting but never did happen so we thought hey maybe he's surviving and he's going to be a world record typical next year yeah. So which we thought he probably was on his way to
1: yeah and talking about getting nauseous i think that's uh the way Chris Gilkey almost describes Brad as he showed up uh, at that. What and what specific show? I can't remember. It was the Ohio Whitetail or do you remember the exact show?
3: Deer and Turkey Expo.
1: Deer and Turkey Expo in Columbus. Deer and Turkey Expo, so... Yeah, but when Chris describes Brad showing up, you know, he thinks it's an emergency because Brad, it doesn't look like he's got any color in his face. He knows his wife's pregnant. And he's thinking, you know, I'm going to have to help this guy out some way if we're going to have to get him to a hospital to, to see his wife's having birth. Or, you know, he just he, he describes Brad's look like a state of emergency. And, and that's probably how you felt, too, didn't it? it wasn't it, Brad? That's
3: pretty much. Um, so I was up there uh, helping a friend trying book some hunts. He was a, he's a booking agent and I knew some of the properties that he had. So I was trying to help him along. Otherwise I wouldn't have been at the show at all. I was just there to help him. Another guy that we knew, uh, Logan McNulty, uh, his, his dad owned Walker tree stands. And he was there helping his dad, but we had knew him through the filming thing. He was trying to help us out with camera equipment. And he walks up to me in the middle of the show on the first day. And he said, you know that deer you showed me? I was like, yeah. He goes, I think it's in the booth behind you. And I'm like, nah, I doubt it. I haven't had time to walk around or anything yet. So I had, you know, had no idea. He's like, dude, seriously, you need, you need to probably come with me. I was like, all right, let's go and you know, walk around the corner. And I didn't even make it to the booth and I, I saw it. I didn't see that it said, you know, Kentucky state record or anything like that. But I, I was like, That is not good. And on our way, I was just going to walk back, you know, to the booth I was working at. And Logan said, dude, it says Kentucky state record. It's like, are you kidding me? And I walked back around at this, at this point, I, I, I couldn't even talk. I was like, okay, I saw Gilkey earlier. So I booked around to the front, knowing what booth he was working. And that's the point where. I'm white as a sheet. I'm sure I I couldn't get the words out to tell him that you know Big Boy was up there. He definitely thought something was wrong with me, but I uh, I finally got it out and said, you know, it's Big Boy and he's here at the show and he's in a booth up here with some guys that's the new Kentucky State record. And Gilkey's fate, I mean, his demeanor changed immediately, and because I mean that feeling that you know that there's foul play. I mean, it was it was immediate. There was no, there was no like, oh, man, maybe it swam the river. Well, we're in the northern part of that county. Right. They don't go down there. Yeah. And, and then where he's saying he killed it, that's even farther. So it just, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, from there, it, uh, you know, Yoki pretty well took care of us. We rounded up what footage and pictures. I mean, we had hundreds of pictures, 40 some minutes of video of every angle you could ever want from this deer. At least did have good quality for the day. We had a cutting back that was state of the art then as far as trail cameras go. Mm -hmm. And we had really good quality footage of everything about that deer. And yeah, it was uh it was a wild.
1: it was it was a wild ride after that yeah no what what timing though to have Chris at that show as well and, and put that together because I'm sure when he when you told them what the title said in Takaki state record I mean he he instantly in his brain said poached because oh, that's yeah. what I would have done right away. <laughs> and, and you guys did too you you were like instantly you you kind of put it together too that the, this this stinks to high heaven yeah yeah
4: Yeah, for sure going back a little bit Chris we actually Chris was a new game warden in the county and we met I'm not sure how we met him but we ended up meeting up with Chris and becoming pretty good friends with him um, prior to finding out about big boy and locating him so we were you know we were already hanging out with Chris hunting with him even and pretty good friends and as soon as we got that footage we knew i mean instantly we were both you know there was no question we need to get a hold of chris not only because he's a hunting buddy of ours and we want to show him this but he's the new county game warden and he needs to know about this because this is going to draw some attention not only from poachers but also if we are to you know to kill this thing we wanted to cover our bases and make sure there weren't any questions there were several cases back you know of giant deer being killed what i assume legally but you just there's always somebody that you know says something or rumors and you end up having to try to defend yourself and it can ruin a really good thing. Uh, so we wanted to get out ahead of that. So yeah, he knew about that deer prior showing, yeah, as soon as he saw that at the, at the expo, I think he knew, I think we all knew, um, it it just wasn't probable. It wasn't feasible that that deer was going to end up that far away.
1: You know, we know what happened. You know, Chris, uh, did a great podcast with me and was able to make that case, which was, uh, that's huge. And you guys played a big role in it. By you know the camera footage, the pictures, everything else, because you know now we know pretty much that with with the antlers, it's almost like a fingerprint. You can almost determine perfectly where these deer, uh, that deer is this deer, you know, just by looking at it, and uh, have experts testify to it if necessary and things like that. But you guys supplied all that evidence to him. To bring that all together to to make sure as a matter of fact uh you know the 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 guy that poached it identified it when you know your picture was thrown there that's my deer yep that's my deer i mean that's you, you can't nail anything better when a when a guy says yeah that that picture that's that's the deer i shot right there right there and then you know that just brings that all together so but from your perspective i mean we go from bad turning white you know, with that thing. And uh, we got you guys were probably on a little, Brad, you must have been on little pins and needles. You want this case to happen, I'm sure.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole rest of the show, I had a hard, <laughs> had a hard time helping my buddy at his food. Um Yeah, I mean, I, I was calling him and my wife because I had all the camera footage at my house and all the pictures. Just didn't think that that was the way that it was going to go down. I remember telling my wife, I was like, we're going to make this deer famous. She, cause she was kind of making fun of us about the ca- all the camera equipment and all the time spent. Mm. I was like, we're going to make him famous. Just didn't expect it to go like this and make him famous like that. I mean, the deer deserves every bit of credit with as much antler he's got on his head. It's 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 worth being seen, but uh, just not like that.
1: Yeah, this just uh, you know when I hear poachers or thieves, poachers steal from people, and that just. Emanates from you guys that you know you put this effort into it, you you dialed this in, and then it was stolen, and you know that that's a lot of time and effort, and sometimes that's more important than money for sure, and the opportunity to have a like you said a legal hunt and be able to harvest an animal to that quality. Uh, was taken from it. And I just, it, it, it infuriates me a, as a game warden that that happens. But, you know, let's face it, uh, there's over a hundred trophy wildlife cases nationwide in North America every year. And, that, and that, those are the reasons why. Uh, that's why I, when it, it used to have the, oh, the deer pools, you know, that, that was the worst driving poaching thing you ever had. If you get a new rifle and a thousand bucks, there was guys out shining and shooting deer to register in the pool like crazy you know anything to get that 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 prize to to win the other prize so you get a great buck and you get a rifle and a couple thousand dollars to boot so and that you know it's 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 money and bragging rights that sometimes uh drive poaching and for sure and I think that the bragging rights came into this and I mean when you can label a deer like that the Kentucky state record I mean but inside I just I don't know how people operate inside uh, and I'm sure you guys can't relate to that either because you were going to do it the right way. And then it was stolen from you.
4: Yeah, it's difficult. It was a tough one, tough pill to swallow. Um, we, obviously we could have killed that deer a hundred times illegally, you know, pretty easily with, mm-hmm. you know, probably a handgun. He was, we were in the bean field with him almost every evening. Um, pretty daggone close, maybe too close sometimes. Too close. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it, it's, it's tough. It's unfortunate that there are people like that out there. Um, it's the reality, but it is it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow.
1: Mm, for sure, for sure. Well, thanks for sitting down and giving me the, the hunter side of it. And, you know, the other thing is the reporting, poaching, reporting information, and that's how probably some of the best cases game wardens make are, are guys like you that can dial things in and give us that evidence. Without that evidence, I think Chris did an outstanding job as an interviewer, but – if if things clam up, we have to use those those fingerprints, so to speak. All the evidence gathered, and I, I think it's more common today than it was back then. That guys are studying, they're 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 locating big bucks, and then they're studying them, and then they're they're, they're being very very good at killing these animals. But they're also learning their habits and everything else. They're almost like biologists uh, with a purpose. <laughs> so
4: yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I and I find it fascinating too. I mean, coming in from the other side and just learning that habitat in the Northeast too. Uh, you know, they're, they're people are just starting to dial in these bucks and and do that type of thing, uh, and then hunt specific animals. That's that's very very interesting that's only really happened in the past probably since since you guys started maybe it's i think it happened in you know ohio and uh, illinois and all that before it happened here but it certainly has gravitated to the northeast and other places where you see an animal and you look to harvest that animal and it's kind of cool it's a pursuit Of something different. You're not a meat hunter. You're, you know, whether you want to call it a trophy hunter or not, but it's certainly a harvestable animal, and uh, we we think that's great. And I I think it's kind of cool that you're, you're mini biologists and everything. You learn about deer habitat.
4: Yeah, for sure. It's a it's a year long process nowadays, which is you know it's neat. It's uh way more than just waiting for opening day and popping your butt in a tree stand. You uh you're literally working year round scouting and food plots and cameras and it's it's a second full-time job a lot of times for a lot of guys the amount of work that's being put into this is tremendous um, so yeah it's, it's pretty neat it's uh, quite the process nowadays
1: and I, I think it's pretty cool that the steer brought you guys together as hunting partners too I mean it would have been nice if you could have harvested it together 100% I get it, but it's it's kind of funny, Ian, that you, you saw this buck and, like, I need the resources to be able to do this right, and then you go to Brad, a, a friend, and now a very good friend and a hunting partner, and I think that's a, a really cool story to tell out of it's making lemonade out of lemons, because uh, let, let's face it, this, this is a sour, very sour case for everybody, but I think in the end, you guys made out good by, uh, Big Boy had a reason he brought you guys together.
4: That's right, yeah. I didn't- and chris too you know chris did Mm. a heck of a job i mean i it it was amazing to us it was a the deer was a, a big deal to us but to but to see it being such a big deal to chris and the rest of the law enforcement side that meant a lot and it was encouraging that they took it seriously as they did and really just did a phenomenal job on the case and took it you know way farther than we thought that it was going to get taken and that was that was nice to see that was really uh Uh, we knew chris was a good guy he was a good buddy but but he's all he what we learned through that process is he's a heck of a investigator too and you know that was pretty cool to watch play out it was terrible you know in a lot of ways but it was it was cool to see how it ended and see how they handled it the professionalism and the just the grit man those guys worked hard to get every ounce of of uh retribution retribution that they could so it was cool
1: yeah, no, I, I would agree. They, they, he worked very hard on that case, and it's near and dear to his heart. You know, the first thing he wanted to podcast was about Big Boy and, and that experience, and I, and I don't blame him for a game warden. That's a case of a lifetime, if you ask me. But I, I did kind of throw that out in, in a challenge, though. Uh, that Chris, you know, that's a case of a lifetime. Let's see if you can do one better. So <laughs> he
4: will, he will. I guarantee it. Yeah,
1: he, he you know, he, he seems like a kind of guy that rises to challenges. That's the only reason I threw that out there. <laughs>
4: Yep, exactly. Exactly. He's tenacious, man.
1: That that's great, and and thank you for sitting down and sharing the hunter side of things. Because sometimes uh, we forget how much you guys invest in our natural resources as much as we do.
4: Absolutely. Thanks for having us, and uh, we appreciate what you guys do.
1: No, thanks, guys. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders.